Hello and welcome, and I'm so excited to be able to tell you all the great news that I've been promising for two weeks. Uh, today, for our encounter lesson, we are rejoined with uh, Reverend Becky Zardi. Uh, the good news that I can share with everybody is that Becky has uh, accepted the call to work for the center in the capacity mm -hmm. of Director of Ministry with Women. And so that would have been the former women's ministry, Director of Women's Ministries, I guess, right? So correct. Yeah, that is correct. They're tweaking it a little bit, and we're trying to expand the role and to do some new things. And so I just am happy that Becky's with us again today um, because it makes this podcast so much better. Uh, and so Yay. thank you. Um, at the end of this episode, I am going to have Becky just talk about some of the things she's excited about, maybe some of the challenges or, you know, just the, the unique things about women's ministry in the Carmel Presbyterian Church. Uh, and so I'm, I'm super excited, but I'm happy she's here with us again. Uh, if y'all have been following the podcast for, for a long time, you know, she was with us uh, at the beginning. So at the um, beginning, yeah. So I'm just super happy that uh, we've hired her because she's going to be great. And, and I'm, I'm super happy to have her on here again. So what we're going to go over today is the November 28th lesson. Uh, it's going to be from Jeremiah chapter 29, and we've titled it A Letter to the Exiles. Uh, our mm -hmm. uh, scripture selection is Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. And then also we throw in John 14, 27 in there uh, for our prayer for illumination today. God us, O God, and prepare our hearts to hear your word. Pour into us your grace and strength so that every word comes to us in love and faith. Help us to find the truth that shall set, set us free. Lead us to the places that are evergreen and where your light brings unending joy. Give us a strong will to follow your way through Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. And our memory Amen. verse for today uh, is uh, from uh, 29.7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on it uh, for it on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So again, that's Jeremiah 29.7. All right. Um, this has been my caveat for every single lesson that uh, Derek has, has done in the introduction. He introduces us to a Bible project video about the exile. Again, I encourage you to look at that. If you, if you can't show it in your class, then you look at it, take some notes because those are really well done. And, and again, I've had just probably 17 emails from people just saying, I'm glad I was exposed to this resource. So, uh, yes. And they have Love a whole bunch the of Bible project. Yeah. I was introduced to the Bible project back when I was taking classes for pause and it is just been a phenomenal resource. I love their videos and the way they put them together, how they explain things um, as well as they possibly can in the short amount of time that they do it. It's, it's a fantastic resource. All right. So my dog's going crazy <laughs> because happens. yeah, oh, it yeah. happens. This is, this is the COVID mess that we're in. Our discussion yeah. question is since March, 2020, we have all experienced exile of sorts because of the pandemic. Describe your frustrations and discomforts in our exile. How has God remained faithful during this exile? How have you remained faithful during the exile? Um, I bring that up because this is one of my frustrations is because I have to deal with animals uh, when yes. we're recording things. So. You're exiled to your house and you have to deal with the barking dog. <laughs> it's one of the discomforts. And I, I, um, I halfway joke about it, but I bet every single minister, elder, Sunday school teacher, youth pastor has had something that they were completely frustrated about. Um, and I think it's, it's, I don't want to say it's hurt ministry. It probably hurt ministry at first, but then you just find a way to deal with it. 
right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Well, Becky, um, what I got when I was looking at this introduction and thinking about exile or whatever, um, I think about the, it's like this this ever-expanding plot of scripture. And so in that um, Bible um, project video, uh, it talked about how you can see like humans start in a garden of Eden, then they're expelled because of disobedience. And then you get the promised land. And then they're in this part, they're, they're exiled because of disobedience and, and bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have kind of a return to the promised land, if you will, with, with Jesus. And right. And so where it starts in the garden of Eden, they end up in Egypt, they go back to the promised land, but then they get scattered around the world. And then that mm-hmm. sets up Jesus who then, you know, the church becomes the command of Jesus was you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so even in exile, God is working something great and it ends with Christ reigning over the cosmos, right? The whole creature. That's what I've got out of that introduction when we think about exile. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to look at it because I just did a recent study on Paul Um, And one of the things that Paul talks about a lot is, and something that we don't talk about, I don't think enough in our churches, is that the kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully consummated. So we're part of the kingdom here on earth now. So we're, we're kind of like right on the edge of the promised land, right? And it's when Christ comes in that final moment that the kingdom is fully consummated. So we're sort of in exile, but we're not totally in exile. And, and it's our process as, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to invite other people who are wandering around this exile to be a part of this beautiful kingdom that is here but not yet. And, and that's, that's a great thing I think that Jeremiah was talking about is, yeah, you're going to be in exile. And yes, you're going to be in a different land, but you still have a part to play. And, and God's still working there. And to, I think on, what was it, on page 76, um, you know, where Jeremiah is telling them, take wives, you know, give your sons in marriage, to grow gardens, to build homes, to build those relationships. Because even though you're in exile, God is still doing something great. And God is still doing something amazing. And God is going to bring you back to this promised land. But while you're there, keep doing what you need to be doing for God. And then to to go further in that, just as a way of introduction, what then ends up happening uh, from the Old Testament, like these letters to the exile, the New Testament writers pick up this theme as living as aliens or living as exiles in this world. And so I kind of just went through like really the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus was talking to faithful people and how they should live in a world considering they're not of this world. So turn the other cheek or, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and this righteousness and all this stuff. And so there's this flipping of values that if you're, if you're an exile in this world, you live a different way. And then I was thinking in Philippians chapter three, uh, Paul says your citizenship is in heaven. First Peter two says you're a holy nation, right? Like a kingdom Mm -hmm. that belongs to God. And then uh, Hebrews 11, you know, when he, when the writer of Hebrews talks about all those people who live by faith, and then right in the middle, it says, and and they're looking for a better country, right? They're yeah. citizens of a better country. And so um, so we can live, like you brought up, we can live in such a way that even though we're in exile, we can flourish. Yes. And um, we should. Yeah. Now, does that mean that everything is going to be great and hunky-dory and sunshine and roses every moment of every day? 
Absolutely not. Because we're still in exile. Right. We still have struggles that we have to deal with. We still have problems that occur or bad things that happen in our lives, losing loved ones. COVID-19 is a great example as we keep talking about this exile and COVID. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't flourish as a citizen of the kingdom of God, that we can't do great things, even if we're in exile at the moment, that we still have a responsibility to continue what God started and, and to invite other people into that relationship. Yeah. And it is a chance, like I said, to realign our values and our priorities. So I think that's what yes. exile does. It strips down. We've gotten carried away by the world. And now that we're in exile, we realize that our connection with God is more important than the things of this earth. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so in some sense, exile does allow us to say, wait, this ain't what I'm about. I've got to get back to, to that connection with God. So, right. And I think Jeremiah, you know, you touched on at the beginning, how it was disobedience that kept putting us into exile, you know, with disobedience in the garden, got us expelled from the garden, disobedience here, got them exiled um, to, to the empire at the time. Um, and, and even now, when we lose focus of what God's kingdom looks like, when we get so concentrated, I guess, our minds and our energy is just concentrated on the things of this world, instead of on the kingdom, uh, we end up being in that moment of disobedience where we have to come back and recognize that it's the kingdom values that we need to exemplify in our lives so that we can flourish even when we're here in this kingdom that's here, but not yet. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, then we're going to move on, I think, to the exploring the scripture part of this thing. Um, so I did want to say as part of when you read the book of Jeremiah, and I figured this out the, when I was writing for the encounter, whatever, fall of last year. Um, Jeremiah is weird because you can't tell whether it's laid out chronologically or thematically. Right. Yeah. And it depends on who you read and how you read it, especially in this little area here, Jeremiah, like 28 through 36 or something like that. It looks like things are juxtaposed. I don't know. Anyway, I did a lot of, a lot of work on that, but it looks as though it's somewhat chronological, but then it's also thematic. And so the, the theme here is the exile, right? And this from mm -hmm. 28 to 30, I think it's 36, something like that. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly when a prophecy was said, to who and what time and all that jazz, but the point still remains the same. It, it is that God is going to discipline, but God is going to redeem. And there's a certain way then that we respond to God's uh, disciplining, if you will. Um, that's what I've got from this. So in this passage, uh, God seems to say, look, you're off track. We got to get you back on track. Exile is how it's going to happen, but I'm not going to leave you. Right. And in some sense, we read that or we can see that God's justice or God's discipline is justice leads to mercy, leads to wholeness ultimately. Right. Uh, I guess is where what I get on on this part. But what you got? I really loved that Derek brought out that Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophets. Um, because we often think of prophets, I think, as those people that are like standing on the mountaintop declaring God's word to everyone and just this like very Charleston Heston type of voice, God said, blah, blah, blah. You know, 
and we don't think about Jeremiah often as, as this person who was so grieved, who was so mourned from what the Israelite nation as a whole was going to have to face, that it caused him to weep and to just truly mourn and cry out for the people. And I think about pastors who, through this pandemic, have just been so frustrated, who have been so grieved and mourned themselves for not being able to be at a hospital with someone who is dying, where we have been that person before, and now we can't go in. Or somebody that is sick at home that's under quarantine, and the best that we can do is stand outside of their window and offer our prayers to them, you know, and we can't hold hands, and we can't hug them and just be with them like we were before. And how many stories I've heard of not necessarily in the CP church, but other pastors that I know, especially on the the Northeast seaboard who were officiating funerals via zoom because they could not be there in person at, at the funeral home. And just the things that other people have done. Well, actually, a friend of mine here in Madisonville, another pastor of another church, um, she was talking about one of her parishioners was passing from COVID and how this nurse was just such a blessing to her because the nurse gave her her personal phone number. And anytime she wanted to call and check on this person who was on a ventilator and dying, she called this nurse and the nurse would hold the phone up to this woman's ear, even though she was sedated because she was on a vent so that she could pray for her while she was in this moment. You know, I mean, so I think of all these times that we don't think about how much we weep and we grieve for those who are mourning, who are hurting and how much Jeremiah grieved for his people. Because he knew what was happening. He knew what God was about to do and how just emotionally moved he was during this time. Yeah, I was. So I was thinking kind of in the same terms, except not necessarily. So like one of I always like to see trends in society and like there at the beginning of COVID year or so ago, there was this uptick. I I don't think it it didn't continue, but uh, you can look at uh, Google trends, like, you know, how many times I'm going to search for. So anyway, there was this huge spike of Google searches on divorce lawyers uh, when COVID first happened. Uh, yeah. Oh right. Okay. And so, um, like I said, but I don't think people followed through. But the point is, is that there at the beginning, when you're so shook up and, and your, your world is so turned around, um, it psychologically shakes you. And so like, in researching this, there was this, you know, that year and a half, you had political disagreements and you had no, you didn't have, most people didn't have any outlets by which to ignore their spouse on something. Like you can disagree, but when you're together 24 seven disagreeing, 24 seven, and then everything (laughs) soaked up, right? So like politics became this righteous battle or, or, um, even the way people parented, that was another thing that started going up. So like when you're together and your kids aren't at school and you're all together at home, people start picking apart each other's parenting skills, or you shouldn't have done this mm-hmm. or that, which should never would have been a thing if, if society uh, finances, because either a, some people, you know, got some relief that they didn't necessarily need. And so they went out and spent more money or, but then there were people who just didn't have money that they used to have. And so that made it hard. And then, you, you had a loss of hobbies, like a lot of things were 
you know, people who like to just go to the movies or just like to go do things. Those were all. So anyway, in some sense, what COVID, if you think of it as an exile, the same thing it would do for the Israelites, all those things which we kept busy and occupied with and we didn't have to think about or we could just ignore all of a sudden everything just came together and we were forced yeah. to we were forced to think about our lives and and things and and some of us didn't do it well some did but i think what it did was strip down to the just nitty gritty of life and i think that's what exile i think that's what jeremiah means like uh and then when it happens you have a choice right you can either you know repent and seek to build up a better life like like I, I referred the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God, and mm-hmm. then all this other stuff will be added to you, but get the priority right. Um, but anyway, I think that's what exile does. It does. It did that yeah. with us for COVID. I think it does that in, in our passage. Um, sure. It breaks away the comfortability that we, we mask things in. And then all of a sudden we've got to really deal with different things in life that we never thought yeah. we'd have to. So, or things that we took for granted. You know, uh, I think the discussion question on that was was really good for that section. Um, it says, how, how have you been a demonstration of the presence of God during times of great confusion and frustration? You know, and talking about the weeping prophet and then just the grieving and mourning of pastors, because that relationship that we had previously was stripped away from us, it made, I think it made it more apparent that those relationships were so important, that that connection to our people was so important. Um, just like you were saying that if we strip away all that extra and we recognize to seek God's kingdom first, that's what's really important. It's not all the extra, it's not all the accoutrement, it's, it's that relationship that we have with God. It's that partnership that we have and being part of the hands and feet of Christ and being the kingdom of God. That's really important. It's not all the it's not all the extra things that we like to think it is. It's not really. Yeah. It's not really. It was tough. And, and, uh, yeah. oh gosh. So my wife is a patient person for the most part. I can get her fired. Amen. <laughs> and I'm a pretty patient person for the most part. You are true. But you are. I mean, even we, like, we've gone, we went nine years, hardly ever having any kind of fighting or bickering, but man. When you're just stuck with people and then like, and just little things it can bring out. So I don't know. So when I Uh answer that question, the demonstration of the presence of God during times of great confusion and frustration, usually I'm pretty even kill. And I can always see, you know, I'm a Jeremiah. I can see the good in things, but man, there were some times during that. That was tough. So Uh I don't know. I failed a little bit. Terrible. Well, yeah. You know, I think about my situation. My daughter hasn't left home yet. And I love her move out. I love you, (laughs) but also my, my son and my daughter-in-law, my two grandchildren moved in with us during this time. And so there have been moments that I have to remind myself of who I'm representing um, because I want to represent my earthliness (laughs) and roll some heads. Um, But I also recognize that, that that's not going to accomplish anything. And so how do I represent the kingdom of God to them? How do I represent my savior in my behavior, my actions, my attitude towards, towards both my children and my grandchildren? Yeah. And that's shown really strong in, in a confined space. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's our exile. And, and so like you can be revealed. I mean, you're, 
your nature is revealed or it's transformed or shaped or whatever or hardened maybe uh, in, in exile. So, so far as the digging deeper section. Now, this one, uh, I, uh, again, I kind of think of exile and it seems that exile was presented as a way of somewhat of a purification. It seemed like because you were unfaithful to the covenant, there's discipline ahead. Ultimately, this discipline is going to lead to your good and the good of the nation, right? For the good. Ultimately, this exile gives us an understanding of Jesus Christ. It pushes the story on to, to redemption in, in Jesus. So, of course, it's that way. So, I, I, I automatically I always think of that Romans 8 passage, you know, to where like either in Romans 8 or in Hebrews chapter 12, where basically it says, look, you're going to have some discipline. The discipline mm-hmm. is going to produce a good harvest of righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Where God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. These kinds of things. Now that takes faith because when you're in the middle of something, you can feel forsaken. And I think Derek lifts that up. Like Christ yeah. gives us peace. He's not going to abandon us or forsake us. God's not going to. And I had a really good illustration on this, Becky. So yeah, yeah this is a really good one. So one of the youngins that Amy and I had helped with or whatnot um his family moved to vegas he was 18 he was going to stay behind be with his girlfriend right anyway one day he calls me he's like me and girlfriend are going to go live in las vegas i'm like dude like don't do it like right you don't you and your family don't get along you and your girlfriend don't get along you're about to move to a place where you're not going to get along with anybody don't do it no, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I'm like, dude, you don't have to do this. Anyway, long story short, drop him off at the airport because I'm, you know, the whole way down to Nashville, like you don't want to do this. Don't do it. Get him dropped off. I was like, look, I'm not bailing you out of this. Like this is your last chance. You can stay here, get your stuff right. Do it anyway. He's like, nope, going to do it. I was like, just no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to help you. Uh, If you call me, I'm not going to bail you out of this one. So anyway, he calls me. Two weeks later, everything's blown up. Life is terrible. He's got to get back home. It's like, I'm not helping you. I'm not doing it. Anyway, I ultimately gave him some money to get back home from Las Vegas to Paducah here on a bus. It's like a three and a half day ride. I'm like, oh, I'm what here. an exile that is. <laughs> now, here's the, like, I wasn't going to make it easy on him. I wanted him to have to have time to think. And I called him like he started on this bus journey, like it's three and a half days. I'd call him about every four hours just to make sure he wasn't dead, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, sure. But anyway, that was six months ago, seven months ago. We went to a basketball game together the other day. And he was like, you know, that gave me time to think and to realize where I was. And I'm different because of that bus ride. And so I thought to myself, in some sense, this is, I think, how we understand the discipline of God. It is not pleasant at the time but we're not forsaken and like at any point in time i was calling and checking on this kid for you know every four hours Mm -hmm. if something bad Mm -hmm. was going to happen or you know i could have instantly you know taken care of it but had to learn (laughs) yes that's how i view that's how i've started to understand exile or understand god has not left you or forsaken you but he's given you time to repent or to be shaped mm-hmm. and molded and to realign your, your values so that when you come back, not only is God glorified, but you've got a little deeper taste of that human flourishing that can happen. Mm-hmm. And you're warned 
from the stupidity that you were in. So. Sure. That reminds me a great deal about, about my story, how I came to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, uh, because I, I've often wondered why I had to go through some of the fires that I went through. Why did I have to walk that path? Even though I recognized that it was my own choosing that I walked that path, but why was I allowed to walk that path for as long as I did? And now as a pastor, I can look back on that path and go, yeah, that's why I had to walk that path because there was something I needed to learn. There was some discipline that I needed to have. There was an experience that I needed to, to walk through so that as a pastor, I can empathize and connect with people who are walking through troubled situations because I've, I've walked through something similar. might not be exactly the same, but I've walked through something similar. And, and just let me tell you that on this side, it's a whole lot better. Yeah, right. And, and just, just know that you're walking through your fire right now. But when you walk to this other side, when you get through the exile and come back, that it's a whole lot better over here. And being able to connect with people in amazing ways that I would have never, I grew up in a very solid middle-class home. Um, you know, I mean, we were about as white bread as white bread can be. And, and I would have never been able to connect with people had I not made some of the poor decisions that I did. Um, but what God's allowed me to, to go through so that I can connect with people and recognize that, hey, you're really on the edge of exile right now. <laughs> and I'm right. going to love you through it. But you're going to come back and you're going to come back stronger and, and it's going to be more amazing. So then Derek brings up, I, I think I just want to read our Confession of Faith 4.24 and 4.25. Yes, because this please. is, I think it's important that exile doesn't happen just because God was surprised. Uh, right. It's, it's a purposeful thing. So the transformation yes. 4.24 says the transformation of believers begun in regeneration and justification will be brought to completion. Although believers sin and thereby displease God, the covenant relationship is maintained by God, who will preserve them in eternal life. And then 4.25, the preservation of believers depends upon the nature of the covenant of grace, the unchangeable love and power of God, the merits, advocacy, and intercession of Jesus Christ, and the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit, who renews God's image in believers. And so I think that's, I mean, that's important. Nothing happens outside of God's like, like God didn't wake up and be like, how did Chris get there? Right. <laughs> but God is, is uh, constantly shaping and forming us. And sometimes exile is the way it goes. Um, mm -hmm. So there's that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think gotta, the other thing I really liked in this section, because we're in exile and because we're not forgotten, because God is not surprised. I think Derek points this out in the very last paragraph when he talks about Jesus embodying the compassion. Yes. And, you know, we're not alone. We are not walking through this world by ourselves, that we are as a collective, as, as a whole, as followers of Christ, that God is here with us. And he is sensitive to and compassionate towards your situation and circumstance. Yeah that you are not forgotten. You're not there wandering the edge of the world by yourself. Yeah. I think the other thing is, and, um, and it's not just us as individuals. Like sometimes I get frustrated. Like we work 
you're about to, you're about to start working for the denomination. And I, I work for the denomination now for a couple of years. And sometimes you see some infighting or you see some controversies going on and you see people pitted against each other and it hurts. And you think, okay, um, is God going, is God faithful to the church as well? Like, right. So as right. a community, as a body, as a, not just me, but the, the people, the nation. Uh, so there's a focus not just on ourselves, but on the people of God and the faithful of God as well. That as a whole, bit. as a whole, you know, I think when we read that, and I'm going to give your readers a, or listeners a good resource, it's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Great book. Pick it up. Check it out. Um, it really opened up my eyes to even where Jeremiah is is talking here about the nation. Now, you know that the exile lasted 70 years. Now, does that mean that everybody that was exiled got to come back to the promised land? A lot of them died out there. A lot of them died in exile. Um, but that God hadn't forgot that nation as a whole. He had not forgotten his promise and that the redemption came when the nation as a whole got to come back. Now, does that mean that every Israelite came back? Does that mean every Israelite wanted to come back? Probably not. Some of them probably stayed in the scattered state that they were in. But God is still faithful, no matter what. God is still faithful to that promise that he gave, which was that he brought the nation of Israel back to the promised land. And that's the same here. Does that mean that, again, that we don't suffer? Of course we suffer. We live in a broken world. We live in a, in a, a kingdom that is here, but not yet. It's not fully consummated. And so we are going to have problems. We are going to have issues. But God is faithful to us as a whole. God is faithful to us as a whole people and, and working together, understanding that it is when we come together to exemplify that that's when that compassion, that true compassion for the, for the believers as a whole body comes to fruition. Yeah. Um, and I look forward to enjoying that time together, working with you. Enjoying. Yeah. That's the key word. I'm enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if there's infighting and frustration, there's always, um, and I used to worry, but I don't because God has, God has pledged to be faithful to the people of God. I mean, you know, like, and the gates of hell will never overcome it. So might look different, might, but God's in charge. So, all right. So we're going to go to learning from the scripture section. And I think what Derek brings up here is that when you're in exile, it can feel hopeless. And you can respond yeah. in certain ways, right? So when I was thinking about this, like the way you respond to exile does have a lot to do with how you understand faith. Like, do you trust God is in charge? Like we were just talking. If you do, it's easier. Like you can you can endure more things if you know that that it's going for God's glory and for your own good. Again, that Romans mm-hmm. passage, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I remember... Uh, when I was growing up children, um, like when they turn teenagers, it's a terrible time. And it's almost as if, and you've been a parent and I, maybe I'm speaking on turn. I might be a terrible parent, but I don't think I am. <laughs> I was a teenager at one point too. And I can remember doing this. You just think your parents are against you. And like their whole purpose yeah. in life is to keep you from growing into the individual you are called to be. And so every conversation, no matter how benign it is, feels like, it's a threat. Like for some reason they, they have your, 
they they want to just quash you. And that's how I felt with a couple of my children. And and I remember having to say to one who had just turned 15, like we were fighting about something. I was like, stop, man, I've got your best at heart. I'm on your team. I want to see you do well. I'm not against you. All right. And so we got through with that one. But then I remember having to say the exact same thing to the younger one once they reached like, look, I'm not against you. I want you to do well. I want you to flourish. So like, trust me, like when I'm trying to discipline or to help or to advise. And I think we then just as the eternal teenagers, we are compared to God or compared with God. It's just we we have to come to a point to where we say this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's like a Job thing or, or the weeping prophet. This is terrible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I have faith in a very powerful God that's doing something. Mm-hmm. And so then I can, mm-hmm. I can move forward. I can plant yes, the sir. gardens. I can have these things. That's what I thought about. I always think about my children. When I think about terrible. <laughs> anyway. Um, but I just remember having to tell them I'm on your side. You know, I'm not your enemy. Like right. this stinks now, but. I'm also helping you learn things that are going to be good for you later. Yeah, absolutely. You know, am I the only one that every time my kids do something that reminds me of something I did with my parents, I call my mom and apologize. I was perfect. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I was that way. Yeah. I totally get that. And, and completely agree that comparatively, I mean, we walk through things. Good gracious. I'm just thinking about my recent situation, um, you know, that are hard, that are really hard and difficult and bring you a lot of anxiety and frustration. Um, but you have to trust the process. And I, and I think we question, we're like, God, why, why am I, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to go there? But when you trust, when you have that faith that no matter what you're going through, um, that you can plant gardens, that you can continue to be the hands and feet of Christ. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what God does. I mean, I'm just always floored and just astonished at, at the grace that God offers and just his awesomeness. He's just so cool. It is. And, so it, cool. and it does work yeah. out. But that's the place. That's where the faith yeah. comes in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's go ahead and go to the applying the scripture. We got four different discussion mm-hmm. questions here. I think what I wanted to do was yeah. to give you first shot. You pick out one of these okay. discussion questions and, and lead us through it. And then I'll pick out one and then we'll end sure. with a little, give, give us your dreams and visions, Becky. Q&A. Q&A. Yeah. Okay. So the second one really jumped out to me. Um, says COVID-19 has presented the church with a tremendous opportunity to change and evolve as a community. What lessons have the COVID-19 exile taught you and your church? How can you put those lessons into action? And for us here at the two congregations that I currently pastor, I think the thing that brought was most brought to light is how important relationships are, how important that interpersonal communication is and how important being able to worship together in person is. That was something that we really took for granted because it was just, yeah, you just show up on Sunday because that's just what you do. And when that was stripped away from us uh, for a time, when we came together and and was able to come together, even for our fellowship lunches, because those were off the table for quite a while too. um, And when we finally were able, comfortable enough for everybody to come back together uh, for fellowship lunches, just that, that interpersonal part of us 
how much we miss that and how much we miss having a, a conversation about how are your kids, how are your grandkids, how, how are things going on here in the community? Um, and so it made us much more aware of that. So we've looked for ways to promote that relationship. Um, and I think as the church as a whole, um, I think we've looked for ways, whether it's this way through Zoom where we can promote a um, interpersonal communication. And even though we can't be together, that we can still participate with one another and with one another's lives. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we have done as the church as a whole to be able to put that into action, to recognize that it's the relationship that we have with people that is more important um, than anything else that we're doing. All right. You did number two. I think I'll do number yep. one. Okay. And um, this has been for various and sundry reasons, but um, I'll read it here. Just as Jeremiah lived with heartbreak caused by sin and rebellion, how does your heartbreak for the sin and rebellion around you? How do you respond? How should you respond? So first this week, um, it hit me pretty hard. And and I remember when I was working on another encounter lesson, I went to John the Baptist and, um, you know, John the Baptist came out of the wilderness and he was condemning everybody and people would come to him and say, what must I do? Right. And then John would be like, repent, you repent. And then he was <laughs> like, if you were a, yeah. you know, if you're a tax collector, do this, if you're a soldier, do this. And I think that's the first thing is first to recognize the, the need of repentance in me. Like it's easy. Like if you turn on the news, you can point fingers at everybody and tell how that's awful true. everything is. But <laughs> the truth is you can start in the mirror. And, and, and so first my heart needs to be broken by my sin and my rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hit me hard this week for, for whatever reason. I don't know. I just thought, um, you know, it just, I thought if you, if, if the world's going to change, it's got to start somewhere. Chances are the only thing that you have control over is you start with you. So anyway, that's that. And then also like one of the things that even before I was a Christian, I hated misery like, I don't like people suffering. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, this will get me in trouble with some people, but it is true. There's a world that causes suffering, but then a lot of times it's just people cause their own suffering in a lot of ways, or at least portions of it. And yeah. uh, that hurts there my There are heart. consequences to the decision to make. Right. Now, however far systematic or whatever vocabulary words you want to use, there's just some things that, number one, I don't like unjust suffering. And I don't really like just suffering either, to be honest with you. Like just, you know, like, so I say all that to say it does break my heart when I see people who are not flourishing as human beings, Mm -hmm. because life is great. Like life can be so much fun. I mean, whether you're poor, rich or whatever, like you can flourish, you can be like, you can be in exile and you can plant your gardens and you can have a family and you can live. And I want to see that. And, and for whatever reason, it breaks my heart when I don't see it. So the way I respond to that is to at least, um, as best I can, most of the time, extend the, the blessings that I feel to others, like try to include people with my family or open up my home if I have the extra room or whatnot, mentor, discipleship, these kinds of things. And I think that's how you should respond. Like if God gives building you building relationships. Yeah. I mean, if God gives you the tools to help and bless people or, or then that's, then you, then you're faithful respond in, in obedience, I think is where I'm at on that. Sure. That's beautiful. What a beautiful thing. 
All right. So that leaves a couple other questions that you as a Sunday school teacher can dive into or uh, just discuss with your class or because you're the teacher and in charge, you don't have to do any of that. You're, you're the one in charge. Um, but as for now, before we completely sign off, I did want to give uh, Reverend Becky a chance just to, I don't know, uh, I can I can ask you specific questions. Um, yeah, no, shoot. Shoot some questions my way. Shoot well, so like, obviously you have been a pastor now. You've gone through the pause program. You've been pastoring for what, four or five years? Four years. Yeah, a little over Five years. Been ordained for what, two and a half, two? Almost two. Okay. Almost two. The opportunity comes up to, to apply for this position. What mm-hmm. were the things um, in your mind and heart? Um, Mm -hmm. and how did you discern that this was the way to go? Mm. Wow. That's a great question. (laughs) Um, it was with a great amount of prayer that I understood that I was called to this position. Um, I serve two and I cannot speak highly enough about my congregations. They are amazing giving caring people who have nurtured me through being a pastor and learning what that means um, and just given me just an amazing opportunity to continue to walk in the calling that I really felt God had brought to me and showed me what it really means to be a good pastor. So it was not without a ton of prayer and shedding of tears on my end um, that I made that decision to apply. Um, it was it was a call, just like my call to ministry was. Uh, I knew as soon as I seen, um, and I've, I've told a couple people, I don't know if I've told you this story. Um, as soon as I seen the job advertised, I knew in the pit of my gut. I don't know that I really want to do that because I love my people and I don't want to leave my people. But I also know when God speaks, um, you have a couple of choices. You can either say no and walk the other way, be swallowed by a great fish and, and go into exile on a dry land right. and go right. into exile. Right. Or you, you can understand that God is calling you to something else. Um, and there's a reason for that and accept it even with tears and um, knowing that this was going to be a very hard step to take, but recognizing that God was calling you for a purpose and whatever this purpose is, I, I, I don't know. Um, but I just praise God that, that the, everybody else saw that there was a calling there. And um, I'm excited about where this is going to lead and how God is going to use me in this, in this new direction, this new pathway. So um, when you, uh, saw like the job description or, or whatnot, mm-hmm. what, what is it that you're either a most excited about when you thought about mm-hmm. the opportunity or be a vision that you might have to, uh, to share with the, the work with the women that we have in the Cumberland yeah. Presbyterian church. I think leadership is a huge thing. Um, just a quick backstory for those of you who do not know me. Um, I came from a denomination that did not believe in women in ministry um, and it's, it is not lost upon me that 
as God walked me through when I came to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, understanding that women were an integral and important part of the leadership ability in the church and not just the church, but God's calling as a whole, that we are important, that women are important. And God had to show me the amazing women leadership that was in scripture that in my previous denomination, we never talked about, or we just gave it a cursory glance and moved on, um, but was never discussed and was never opened up to me. And as I came to the Cumberland Presbyterian Church under female leadership, um, how, shout out Tara Cisco. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Tara Cisco. How God opened me to the possibility that women were supposed to be in leadership and women do play a part and have a role and a very important role because there's things that women and men see differently. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way God designed us to be. And so we need to work together in partnership to bring that whole picture forward of what God's going to show us. So A, I came from a place of not believing that women should be leaders to a place now where I can promote and encourage and help women understand that they are to be leaders in the church and they play an important place They that give them the skills and the opportunities to develop their own leadership abilities, whether, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're an elder or are thinking that God's calling you to be an elder in your church, or whether you're contemplating the call that you feel maybe God's calling you to ministry, how can we help you get the skills that you need, the confidence that you need to take on this role that God is calling you to? And that's kind of what I'm hoping to do in my dream of what this role is going to entail is allowing different opportunities and, and bringing different skills to help women flourish in the leadership that God has called them to, whatever that happens to be within the church roles. But one of the things that I've thought about too is just the way, um, the way the church is, um, you know, changing and shaping and forming, yeah. there's going to be just opportunities by which obviously the, the ministry to the women is your primary role, but, um, women are adults too. Right. And so, uh, and so I say that jokingly, but I think there's an opportunity for, um, you know, ways that I look forward to working with you and encouraging Mm -hmm. you, but then also, you know, partnering and seeing, uh, how then we can take this, you know, vision that you have and meld it with the, the broader church, uh, and, and see the church flourish, uh, together, both in, in yes. service to equipping uh, the women of the church, but then also bringing about just a general education and, and an uplifting of our church together um, and and not see things as as a, you know, a battle between the sexes or a battle no. resources or whatnot, no. but we all, uh, you know, we're all in it together. And so I look right. forward to look I think forward. Paul tells us, you know, that we're all members of one body, that we're all an important part and how can you tell your eye that just because you're an eye you're not important or how can you tell your foot just because your foot you're not important that we all have a place and we all have a role and we're all an integral part of this body of christ and we need to work together to make it flourish while we're here in exile that's awesome well um yeah. so january 4th is the official start. january 4th is the official start date 
Um, and I will have an official email that I will share at that time. I don't know what my um, new email address will be. It's um, it's not there yet, friends, but these already at cumberland.org is what it will be. Okay. Uh, okay. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, eventually that's what it was yeah. going to be. Um, so you can contact me by email. I'm, I'm very much on a communicator and I really look forward to having those conversations with people, but also understanding other people's ideas um, and your concept of how we can help women in leadership roles. And so I look forward to those conversations and I look forward to suggestions and, and commentary on how we can, how we can all be a part of being the hands and feet of Christ and do it together. Looking forward to it. So uh, this is the end of the fall quarter. Next quarter is the start of the winter quarter. And that was written by Reverend Kip Rush from the Brent Haven Church in Nashville. I'm hoping that uh, Reverend Becky will graciously um, hold my hand through the rest of these and, and we'll have some interesting conversations. So um, again, I look forward to that next week. We'll start the winter quarter. Uh, that is, I think, forgot the title of it off the top of my head, but, uh, we, we're, uh, obviously getting into Advent and I think it picks up with Ezekiel. Um, and we're going to talk about the Valley of dry bones. And then I think it starts working mm. itself through the book of John, if I'm not wrong. Um, nice. I think it's called abundant life in Christ is the title of the quarter, but I don't have it on me right now. Anyway, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. And we will see you next week. Amen.